What's the difference between Dubai and Abu Dhabi? You tell me. People in Dubai don't like the Flintstones, but the people in Abu Dhabi do. <laughs> I'm Ben. I'm Prasanta. And together we are two peas in a podcast. Guess what? What? I found oil. Where did you find oil? Under my house. I dug deep and I found oil. <laughs> really? All I got to do is, you know, drill, baby, drill, and I am rich for the rest of my life. Uh, have you checked the market recently? The prices are down. Prices of what? Prices of oil. Oh, I'll just sell more of it. Uh, I, I imagine you've already spent your money figuring out that you have oil under your basement. Mm-hmm. And maybe you've already bought the equipment. Uh, as long as the operational cost of this oil is lower than what you can extract out of this oil and sell for, then you're golden. All right. So I guess I should do a little bit of market research here. Makes you wonder, um, you know, what the future of oil might be. I mean, we've been... Uh, driving our cars with oil for what last hundred and some years mm-hmm. uh, it's been a bedrock of our economy for many many years mm-hmm. many parts of the world still produce electricity using oil it's still very crucial to life as we know it yes but with this whole global warming business this agenda of scientists <laughs> uh you know this this thing that 97 percent of scientists are in on mm-hmm. uh is, is this just like a revenge of the nerds or are they just you know Poking feathers at all these uh, these jocks who've been making money off them all this all this time. I mean, yeah, scientists all around the world, from various backgrounds, decided, hey, let's do a practical joke on everybody. Global warming. It's working. <laughs> it is working too, right? These scientists should go and solve world peace. How's that for an experiment? <laughs> Just to recap, I have oil in my basement under my house. Yes. And I've set up all of the tools to extract it. Yes. And I'm selling it. Mm-hmm. Right? As long as you're making more money by selling a barrel of oil, then it costs you to dig a barrel of oil, mm-hmm. then it's a profitable endeavor at this point. Brilliant. What can I do to prevent my supply from, uh, from drying up? How, how do I keep those oil reserves uh, oiled? Well, oil production tends to go down rapidly. Mm-hmm. So perhaps, say, 10 or 15% a year from the average well. So if you want to maintain your production above 50% of where you started, you will probably want to find another well to dig within five years. Can I go dig under your house? Uh, You can. I mean, but you might want to uh, do some research and figure out that there is well and that it's economical to extract. All right. Let's just say that I only want the one well Mm -hmm. because I'm kind of lazy like that. I don't want to run an empire. I just want my my money, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Would it make sense for me to try to get people to use less oil? So that way, as my production runs down, everyone's demand runs down, and I still make my healthy margin? No. You, as an oil producer, you never want to produce, uh, to push the demand down. Because 
um, if the demand is high and the production is still going down, then you get to sell your oil for more. Mm. But as a society, perhaps we want the demand to go down. So, as a society, mm-hmm. how do you think we can achieve that? Well, well. <laughs> oil tell you in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess we should look at where oil is used the most. Right? Um, oil is used primarily as a transportation fuel. Mm-hmm. But it's also used uh, for generating electricity and for heating homes in some parts of the U.S., for example. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't account for too, too much of the oil consumption. And there's also a significant percent uh, that goes into making products like plastics and, uh, you know. Right. uh, There are oil products that go into your roads and things you buy at grocery stores, the bags, whatever, everything. Everything. A little, little bit of oil for... Yeah. For everyone. Yes. But primarily, uh, we see it in the transportation sector. And you know, actually, for example, um, we have been able to reduce the consumption of oil in many different ingenious ways. For example, plastic bags of today are half as thick as what they used to be in the 70s and 80s. That's why they also become holy by the time you get home with the groceries. But I mean... They only really get used for yeah. single use anyway, right? Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. If we look at cars, mm-hmm. a lot of the time, people use cars as sort of an indicator of, you know, progress. They mm-hmm. say that, oh, we have cut greenhouse gases that is equivalent to taking 20,000 cars off the road. Right. What does that even mean? Good question. I guess, I mean, what it literally means is that average car would times 20,000 would produce that much greenhouse gases. In, in the same right. span of time? Good question. Good question. I think they would also have to say it's the equivalent of removing 20,000 cars from the road yeah. for a year or something. You need to put a time span on it, mm-hmm. right? You know, speaking of cars, really, you know, it's an exciting time to be uh, living. After 100 and some years of supremacy of the oil as the energy that drives cars, where as the driver of the cars. <laughs> as the driver of the cars. <laughs> we're finally on the verge of possibly moving to a new source of energy. Right now we have... Well, oh, there's like the electric car, the hybrid car, the fuel cell car, solar car, um, wind car. <laughs> hybrid car is just um, the same as a regular old car, mm-hmm. except it consumes less fuel. It consumes less fuel because it's more efficient in some ways, mm-hmm. right? And it doesn't let energy go to waste as much, right? So, but in terms of what's driving it, it's still the same old oil. So basically, it's like taking the model that we currently have, yes. but trying to make it as efficient as possible. And which requires electrification of the car. Right, okay. Right. Fair point. Um, so hybrid car is that. A solar car is really an electric car. It's just that the energy is coming from the solar panels. Right? The electricity is coming from the solar panels. Do they actually have those cars? Uh, just for, uh, you know, universities built them. They're very expensive to make. They're like not very practical. Cars. They're just concept cars, you know. Yeah. Um, solar cars are a neat concept, but really, you know, mm, yeah, it's not going <laughs> to happen. <laughs> it reminds me of the uh, Zelensky mobile from Honey, I Shrunk uh, Our Kids. The what mobile? Or Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, I, I don't know about this Zelensky mobile. <laughs> <laughs> the Zelensky mobile from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. It's basically a large van, yeah, which was built 
with scientific apparatus inside it. Mm -hmm. So it has these giant solar disks on the sides that yeah. fold up mm -hmm. in order to capture the sun's rays to oh, power the the apparatus in the car in, in the truck itself. Is the truck moving at this point? Sometimes. Sometimes, okay. Yeah. I see. And then, you know, he shrinks the kids and then the kids go on an adventure riding ants and, you know, raindrops ah. nearly kill them because they're raindrops and when you're the size of an ant, well, that could kill you. <laughs> Very neat. It's a great movie from the 80s. You should it reminds check it out. me of... Um... It's another Rick Moranis movie. Look at that. First Flintstones, and now Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Isn't there a children's TV show where kids go in this magic school bus, and then the magic school bus uh, shrinks to the size of, I don't know, a baseball or something, and then they can go on all sorts of different adventures? What's that TV show called again? <laughs> it's called The Magic School Bus. <laughs> <laughs> right, actually, I figured that out halfway through <laughs> saying it, and then I yes. was like, I'll go along with this. <laughs> For the record, it is a fantastic show. And I think Netflix is bringing it back. Really? So, yeah. Look cool. forward to new Magic School Bus adventures in, in the future. So, that's the solar car. Yes. Uh, well, what may be called the wind car is still an electric car, really. I mean, you're not going to put, put wind um, turbines on the car, right? Although that'd be <laughs> no, kind of funny. Fun. <laughs> hey, a source of energy while the car is driving, the turbine <laughs> But obviously, that's counterproductive because the, the the energy to turn the turbines is actually coming from the car itself right mm, okay. um, so don't ever do that <laughs> <laughs> but we don't have anything called the wind car but I suppose wind turbines could charge your battery somehow while it's parked which is a thing mm -hmm. I think some of the Tesla superchargers may have a couple of wind turbines at their disposal as well. Okay. Yeah. So if you consider sort of the fuel car yeah. as we knew it mm -hmm. as sort of the starting point, mm -hmm. and we have, you know, Mr. Fusion mm -hmm. on the far end as what we would love to do, just yeah. just throw our compost into it and you're good to go. <laughs> what really is the, the milieu of viable vehicles that we'll see in the next decade sort of take off? Uh, well, we know for sure that the electric car will take off because really we already have viable electric cars on the road today, mm -hmm. right? All I mean, the Teslas out there and... Teslas, Nissan Leafs, right? Leafs, and the semi-electrics uh, like the Volts, okay. which um, will run on electricity for short durations, but you can still go long distances on internal combustion engines, mm -hmm. regular old cars. Uh, so we have a lot of those. Um, and I mean... Hybrids, uh, although they use oil as the main source, they still make use of battery to reduce the consumption of oil. Mm -hmm. uh, the question is, what percent of cars in 10 years, or perhaps 20 years, will be electric cars? Because the other uh, competitor in this field is what's called the fuel cell car. Yes, I've heard of this one. Right? In fact, we've heard of it for like 30 years, and it's <laughs> never really taken off, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's got a lot of um, obstacles that it has to overcome, uh, which the electric cars didn't have to. You know, for example, it, with electric cars, you could charge at home. Even if you didn't have a whole lot of charging stations, you could always come home and charge yourself. And even, you know, a lot of people have two cars in the family, and they only go on road trips once every, or maybe twice a year, or once a year, and they don't need to take both cars for the road trip. 
So essentially, one car acts like a city car anyway, mm-hmm. right? And so it may as well be an electric car because you can already charge it at home. Fair point. Right? So electric cars didn't have that problem, and they also didn't have the problem of fueling them. So, I mean, to put an electric car station, it's very inexpensive, right? It's just a plug in the wall, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more complicated than that, right? As a, as a side story. Mm-hmm. There's a story, I think it was last year or the year before, yeah. of a car here in downtown Ottawa. Mm-hmm. The owner lived in a condo downtown, Yeah. and he would plug in his car at night because it was an electric car. Mm-hmm. And all the neighbors started to complain because they all paid a flat rate for the electricity. Right. And they just assumed that, oh, this car is guzzling my energy, my prices are going to skyrocket, <laughs> and, you know, he's the one benefiting from it. Right. Right. So that was a huge controversy here. Um, the interesting thing is that um, the owner of the electric car maybe consumed $20 of electricity for the whole month, perhaps, you know? Yeah, I mean, the argument was like, it's like plugging in an appliance. It's like if I had yeah. my laptop on in the house. Right. You wouldn't complain about that. You wouldn't complain about that. It, it is a little bit more extensive than a laptop, right? Okay, two but... laptops. <laughs> I digress. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's... it's um, it's not a crazy amount. In fact, um, average driver would save a significant amount of cost by going electric. I remember when I had an electric scooter, I calculated that it cost me $0.08 cents to go from my home to my work, which was about maybe 16 kilometers away. So what is that? Half a cent a kilometer. Half a cent a kilometer? Not bad, right? Plus your ride home might be free because you just plug in at work. That's what I did, actually. <laughs> <laughs> or did you calculate that into the cost? No, I didn't. <laughs> okay, there you go. I, I was getting paid $0.08 cents a day extra. Mm-hmm. You probably look pretty cool on that uh, that scooter, too. And electric scooters and electric cars accelerate really, really quickly, so they're really fun to, uh, fun to drive. You go from 0 to 60 really quickly. In my case, it was 0 to 30 kilometers an hour. And a lot of times, bicyclists would pass me, but <laughs> I had a last laugh because I I had an electric scooter. Mm. I should know they had the last laugh. <laughs> <laughs> My guy's on a scooter. <laughs> so, um, hydrogen fuel cells. So, uh, so what's, what's preventing hydrogen fuel cells from going mass market is, one, they're expensive because we haven't been able to mass produce them, mm-hmm. and they're still in the research and development phase. Two, uh, stations are really expensive to build, and hydrogen is a very volatile fuel to be transporting. Oh, so is fuel. You see those big trucks that says no smoking? Good point. Right. Um, but, you know, we, everyone knows about that hydrogen, hydrogen-filled balloon airplane that exploded. What was on? Hy- the Heisenberg. Hindenburg. 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 <laughs> the Hindenburg, yes. Right? So, I mean, there's obviously, you know, hydrogen is a very, very flammable material, right? You have to be extremely careful. And Heisenberg is good with the crystal meth. Uh, Heisenberg principle, it's some kind of physics thing. Anyway, let's, let's not get into that one. Um, oh. And, you know, there's another problem with hydrogen fuel cell cars is that it's competing with the electric car, which is chargeable at home, right? And since most of the time you're just going to work and back anyway, it's enough to just charge at home. Right? That's what I do with my cell phone every night. Exactly, right? So why not do that? So that's the 
disadvantage of the hydrogen fuel cell car and which is keeping it at bay. Mm -hmm. But the advantage, of course, is that you can fill it very, very quickly, just like your regular car. And perhaps the range can be a lot higher than electric car. And it wouldn't suffer from degradation of the battery over time that obviously, you know, could uh, plague the electric car. So five years after you purchase the car, the range might go down by 20% perhaps, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not something that would perhaps be a problem with fuel cell cars. It's uh, just a lot more energy dense, you know, the battery that you need in a Tesla is humongous. It's like a thousand pounds or more, so a thousand kilograms, regardless, it's humongous, <laughs> right? That's a big, yeah, for uh, sure. But, you know, on uh, with fuel cells, you know, you don't need as much going with you because, you know, you're only carrying the hydrogen and the tank, of course, it's perhaps, you know, uh, a third of the heaviness, a third of the weight. So would you say that it's possible yeah. uh, that electric vehicles will sort of become the mass market consumer vehicle and hydrogen fuel might end up being a transportation solution? That's a very, uh, very possible scenario because... If you wanted to make, uh, you know, those semi-trucks that you see on the... What are those big trucks called? They're not called semi-trucks, are they? They're like 18-wheelers or... 18-wheelers, yeah. Semis, yeah. Okay, so big driving rigs. that from Ottawa to Toronto, carrying the payload that it does, if you imagine how big a battery it would require, it'd be humongous, you know? It'd be <laughs> tons, perhaps, you know? Yeah, and I mean, roads are not built for... That roads, kind of weight, right? Exactly, now. right? And it, and because of that, you can't carry as much of the real stuff that you wanted to carry, right? right. So it's not practical in that sense, at least for from the technology that we have today uh, with lithium-ion batteries. And nobody sees in the near future a lithium-ion battery that's going to be a lot lighter than it is right now. So certainly fuel cells make sense there. The question is, uh, electric cars are going to be a thing regardless, you know. And another benefit of electric cars are, is that they accelerate really quickly and you know no one needs to go 200 kilometers an hour right no one no one can legally go on our roads 200 kilometers an hour right right so people would much prefer a car that accelerates quickly over one that has a high top speed i think that's fair that's fair that's fair right yeah and so those are electric cars you know small city cars are most definitely going to be electric big semi trucks and you know those 18-wheelers are going to be most likely fuel cell vehicles. Now, in between, where is that border where each is economical or feasible? It's really hard to say. So we might end up with fuel cell SUVs, for example. Yes. In fact, uh, SUV is a really good uh, vehicle for keeping a fuel cell tank as well because it tends to be round, cylindrical shape, mm -hmm. whereas battery, you can make it any shape you want, really, right? The hood of a SUV has a large cylindrical space back of the SUV. You can store a large cylinder in there. It makes sense for SUVs to go fuel cell route. In fact, one of the first fuel cell vehicles that Hyundai released was an SUV. Oh, there you go. The Hyundai Tuscan, which is actually a regular car as well, but they released a car just like it, but that runs on hydrogen fuel cells. Right, sign me up. Where can I buy one? I don't know if you can buy one right now, but you can lease it in certain parts of Canada and the US. Oh, yeah? Uh, you can lease it for, I think, about $500 a month, and for the first three years, the hydrogen is free. Oh. Yeah. That's a pretty good deal, pretty I think. That's a very good deal because... If I can fuel it. Yes. That's why you can only do it in certain regions of the country. And it's Toyota that's really pushing this, this tech, right? 
Toyota is really pushing it. Toyota feels that this is ultimately going to win out over electric cars, which is hard to say because, I mean, for city cars, you know, if you don't need more than 150 kilometers or 200 kilometers of range in your car because you can charge it every night, then it may be cheaper to go electric route if you don't need a large battery. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the case of regular cars requiring petroleum, Increasing the size of the tank doesn't significantly increase the cost of the car. So it's scalable in that sense. Mm-hmm. You can just make the tank bigger if you want it to go farther. In the case of electric cars, making the battery larger is actually significantly more expensive. Because you do have the material to create the battery, and batteries themselves are pretty expensive. Exactly. And, and it weighs you down a lot more. It weighs you down, right? Mm-hmm. So for long distance, it makes sense to go fuel cell route, right? And for short distances, it makes sense to go electric route. Where the mid- midpoint is, where uh, either can make equal amount of sense, is anybody's guess at this point. You heard it right here first. The future is the electric fuel cell hybrid. <laughs> in fact, why not, right? Why not? Yes. Uh, but we should add that fuel cell car is, in fact, an electric car as well, except that the electricity is being created on demand. Right, it's, right it's not stored, it's It's, it's not created. stored, it's being created right there, yes. Of exploding vehicles everywhere. Mind you, our vehicles don't explode today, and they're, they're sitting on, you know, huge combustible tanks. That's true. So. In, in fact, um, all the, you know, hydrogen fuel cell manufacturers go through extensive testing with their hydrogen tanks. In fact, Toyota has shot their tanks with heavy bullets. Guns with heavy bullets. I don't know what they're called, right? Machine guns. Big guns. Big guns, and they haven't exploded, so they, they're very, very resilient. Mm-hmm. And they have to be inspected uh, every seven or ten years or so. The thing is, because of the production levels being very low, and because it's new technology, they're still very, very expensive. Right. But I mean, your early adopters will be like, look at me, I got this really cool vehicle. And Tesla's actually really good because they're a, they're a premium brand that's mm-hmm. desirable, right? Exactly. So, I mean, they're, in a lot of ways, they're leading the, the charge on this, mm-hmm. at least from a consumer point of view. The, the biggest cost in an electric vehicle is the battery, right? If you want to make a cheap $30,000 vehicle, you can't put a big battery, which means it can't go very far. And the acceleration of the electric car is really proportional to the size of the battery. Mm-hmm. So... If you're willing to go and pay $100,000 for a car, now suddenly you can go really fast and you can also have a long range. And Tesla figured, hey, if we just put a few premium materials in here, this would be a perfect expensive car, mm-hmm. luxury car. You know what I mean? In fact, I was in Montebello at a conference with a bunch of doctors. Mm. What did I find in the uh, the parking lot of the hotel? A Tesla? At least three of them. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Damn. In fact, when I was driving home, mm-hmm. right behind me was this Tesla who really wanted me to go faster because I was going like 106, 108. You don't want to go too fast in <laughs> Quebec. They'll pull you over with an Ontario plate like that. Um, so as soon as a, a passing lane came up, she just shot right past me. It was female. It was a female driver hmm. in this uh, beautiful Tesla. And she was eager to pass you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, they accelerate really quickly and you know they're quiet. You can't even tell that you're going fast. So why not, right? Mm-hmm. Why not? And if you can drive a Tesla, you can probably afford the ticket, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, now that my oil well has run dry. Yes. And we have no more need for 
oil because we are all using cloth bags and all using glass containers and we all have hydrogen fuel cell electric hybrid vehicles. What do I do now as my source of income? Clearly I'm in the energy game, but my golden goose is cooked. Uh, why don't you invest in some solar panels, Ben? Solar panels? Yeah. That's a bright idea. <laughs> it's a brilliant and <laughs> bright idea. Make sure to have the solar panels facing south, huh? If you're in Canada. That might be uh, something to keep in mind. And of course, uh, there is wind as well. Wind and solar are very interesting because their costs are rapidly going down. Mm -hmm. And in many parts of the world, they are able to compete with conventional forms of energy, like your coal and your nuclear and your hydro, hydroelectricity, without subsidies. Oh. Yeah. So, which is very, very interesting. Not in Ontario, not in Canada, you know, um, solar energy still has to be subsidized for it to be able to compete because mm -hmm. we're a very northern country. We don't get a lot of sunlight. Right. Uh, but regions where they get a lot of direct sunlight and not a lot of clouds, yeah, solar panels make a lot of sense. I heard that today, if you went to the Sahara Desert with solar panels and mm -hmm. you just covered the desert, you would be able to harness enough energy to run the planet. Yes. I mean, Sahara Desert is, I don't know, a significant chunk of this earth as well. It's pretty vast. <laughs> it's pretty vast. It's like all of northern Africa, right? <laughs> but I mean, who lives there? <laughs> Good point. I, I think even if we could capture one one thousandth of the energy that we get from the sun at any given point, mm -hmm. we have enough energy to run the earth. I mean, we don't capture majority of the energy that we are given for free, you know? Then again, you could say, hey, all the fossil fuels were given to us for free. But yeah, it has other unintended consequences. Thank you, dinosaurs. Thank we, you, dinosaurs. We, we love you for, for your contributions to society. And thank you, plants that fed the dinosaurs and produced the coal that we have today, right? Yes. They definitely made our planet warm and cozy, didn't they? And I hear chickens evolved from them, too. So That's true. There's that. Because T-Rexes are supposed to taste like chicken, right? I've never had one. I have to ask uh, Fred Flintstone, because I hear he likes the Brontosaurus burger. Is that really a thing? Yeah. Really? Okay. you got to watch the I Flintstones. Know, I know. I, I've seen <laughs> some Flintstones. It was a very popular TV show when I first came to Canada. Mm -hmm. All right. So solar is, is certainly an option that sounds promising. Yeah. How about lunar power? Get those lunar uh, lunar arrays up and running. Yeah. For nighttime power. <laughs> can download all my shows on the uh, when the internet's free. <laughs> We don't get a whole lot of uh, light coming from the moon. I mean, you know, in the solar system, really moon and Earth are just speck. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, there's dust. Uh, just dust. So it's like, you know, imagine a dust reflecting light onto another piece of dust. It's not going to be a whole lot, right? No, it's not. <laughs> but, what, but if we, what, if, what if we covered the moon with mirrors? Wait. There's more. Wait. What's it? It'll be a lot cheaper, I think, if you could just have a floating station, like the Mir, Mir or the International Space Station, mm -hmm. um, but with giant mirrors that just reflect light back onto the Earth during nighttime. Mm -hmm. How about that? Sounds pretty fancy. And might lead to a little bit of global warming, but it means that we don't have to burn as much coal and burn as much oil, perhaps. Right? So that might be uh, one way to go. So once we're done digging down for the oil, we should be building up to space. We should be building up to space. Build solar panels. Some sort of solar collector array of some sort. Yeah. 
Um, this was a fantastic talk. Thank you for walking me through how I can become a billionaire on the oil that I have in my house and how to survive once it depletes. You're welcome, Ben. <laughs> I'll buy you lunch sometime. <laughs> do, you, do you have a good joke to tell us? How about you start? I think you have an oil-related joke, right? Well, I am an oil baron, after all. Yes. So, so uh, what do I do with, uh, with all this crude oil? I don't know, Ben. What do you do? You can give it some manners. <laughs> do you want to hear one from me? You're the, you're the joke master, the comedian on this here podcast. So I found this on You Know Where. So a um, young artist exhibits his work for the first time. And there's a well-known art critic in the audience. Mm -hmm. And the critic says to the artist, Young lad, would you like my opinion on this piece of art? The artist says, sure, why not? The critic says, it's worthless, I tell you. It's worthless. And the artist says, yeah, I know, but tell me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, burn. Your laugh was a lot more genuine than mine. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should cap this episode off with a beautiful uh, word of wisdom. Um, I have one. Please, share. It's a combination of words of wisdom with a joke. Okay. So, it goes like this. What's the difference between love and marriage? I thought they went together like a horse and carriage. Well, you would think so, right? You mm -hmm. would think so. But the real answer is, love is blind, and marriage is an eye-opener. Oh, ho. How do you like that, Melanie? Melanie, of course, is Ben's girlfriend. Perhaps soon to be wifey wifey. Well, we'll see how eye-opening an experience it is. I'll report back. And this here, I think, wraps up our oil spectacular. Oil spectacular. Oil, be glad to see you next week, folks. I have nothing to top this. <laughs> <laughs> As I said, we are two peas. Please come join us on Facebook. You know that thing that everybody on this planet has? It's Facebook? called Facebook. It's only like 1.3 billion, I think, people accounts. Only 1.3 billion accounts? Mm. No, I don't believe you, Ben. Okay. Um, continue uh, telling our audience while I look up how many Facebook users there are. Facebook. All right. So all 1.3 billion people with accounts, go join us and like us on, on Facebook. You can find our page at facebook.com slash weare2ps. That's the numeral two. P-E-A-S. Or, we are on Twitter as well, at WeAre2Ps. That's W-E-A-R-E, -E, numeral 2, P-E-A-S. You can also send us an email at peasinapodcast at gmail.com. And on our, at our website, weare2ps.ca, again, numeral 2. You can join us on Instagram through there, on Tumblr, listen to all of our episodes. Uh, find the iTunes link and subscribe to us there. Uh, find us on Pinterest. All those wonderful things. I have the answer for you, Ben. What's the answer? As of the second quarter of 2015, Facebook had 1.49 billion monthly active users. So basically 1.5 billion users. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. And they passed the 1 billion mark in 2012. Yeah. Not okay. bad, Facebook. Not bad, Facebook. Good so I, I think we can get a few likes out of that, I, I think. 
Yeah, I it mean, would make me very happy. My heart would grow larger. I mean, you're no Grinch, but you could use a bigger heart, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, Ben. You have a very big heart already. I just want to let the audience know that was just a joke. It's not true. Okay, but I'm not suffering from any cardiac condition. I don't actually have a big heart. Ben has a very average-sized heart, as far as I know. <laughs> Come visit us in all those places, and see you next time. See you next time.